Hi guys, I'm Jess. And I'm Heidi. And welcome to Betty Squared. Today we are looking at chapter 19, Death Proof. I did look it up. I actually recognized that this was the title of a movie uh, when I first looked at the title of this episode. It's a 2006 Quentin Tarantino film. And the synopsis is, in Austin, Texas, Girlfriends Julia, Arlene, and Shayna meet in a bar to drink, smoke, and make out with their boyfriends before traveling alone to Lake LBJ, I don't know what that is, to spend the weekend together. They meet the former Hollywood stuntman, Mike, who takes Pam out in his death-proof stunt car. Fourteen months later, Mike turns up in Lebanon, uh, Tennessee, and chases Abernathy, Zoe, and Kim. But these girls are tough and decide to pay back the attack. That's very confusing. Yeah, I was gonna say I got a lot of I got a little lost there in the middle, but me too. I took that straight from IMDb, which obviously is a collaborative um, website where you know anybody anywhere can upload information and. I probably should have read what I copied and pasted before recording. (laughs) But sometimes, sometimes time is of the essence and I don't have that long uh, to get my notes and everything in order for the episode. So I just kind of have to hightail it out of there and hope for the best. But yeah, that's super confusing. Yeah. I Um, don't know what Lake LBJ is. Have you ever heard of that? No, let me look it up and see if something comes up. I hope it's not like a weird, like, innuendo that we're just not getting. (laughs) It's the, it's, um, Lyndon B. Johnson, Lake Lyndon B. Johnson, that's named after the president. Oh, got it. Okay. It says it's, is a reservoir on the Colorado River in the Texas Hill Country. About 45 minutes, uh, 45 miles northwest of Austin. So having not seen this film, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the three ladies that are mentioned first, Julia, Arlene, and Shana, or Shana, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. I'm guessing maybe one of them dies in this death-proof car and these people, like, try to get revenge yeah that's it's very confusing so oh no let me see very quickly if i can find something different because that really just doesn't give us anything to work with and i apologize again i should have done my research a little bit more thoroughly okay here's another version oh okay this makes a little bit more sense two separate sets of a voluptuous women are stalked at different times by scared stuntmen, or sc- beg your pardon, scarred stuntmen, who use their death-proof cars to execute their murderous plans. That makes a little bit more sense. Okay, so in that first synopsis that I read of the two sets of different friends, where you, you've got um, Julia, Arlene, and Shana, or Shana, and then the second one is Abernathy, Zoe, and Kim. So maybe these two storylines are happen- happening simultaneously and this car is, I don't know, this car is um, the 
what's that thing? I'm trying to search for that word, uh, like the, um, not the turning point, but like the, oh, common denominator. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, given how bad the synopsises are, I'm kind of curious now because they were both so bad that I'm like, hang on, wait, what is this film actually about? Yeah, that is really weird. And the only thing I can pull from it for the episode is just that there were races, like there were car races in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, and that's exactly what I was about to say too. It's that the only thing that I can pull as well from this is that it's about dangerous cars of some description. So, yeah, let's, let's not look too far into that, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think there's any need to. No, exactly. Well, what's your first note for the episode? So, as usual with this particular rewatch of these particular episodes, for whatever reason, it takes a little bit for me to get notes going. Um, Right. So, my first note is uh, about when Betty... It's still pretty early on in the episode, but when Betty's talking to Archie about Polly, and she says something about how the farm... Some people at the farm are going to make sure that she disappears for a little while to make sure that she's safe from the Black Hood. And my right. note was, yeah, the farm will help her disappear all right. <laughs> yeah, won't it just? And and then some. Mm-hmm. Sell her organs. Sell her children. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I really can't wait to find out what happens with season four about all of that. Oh, speaking of season four, they have announced the release date. Um, I just quickly pulling it up on my phone. I think I've mentioned this before that I use this really great app called TV Time. And what it does is it allows you to um, it allows you to count down days between episodes and then it you kind of tick off your episode as you watch it. So it tells you what episodes you're up to and what shows have been released and blah, blah, blah. But um, we've still got a little bit of a while. It's saying that uh, season four episode one, which will be chapter 58, is going to be released in approximately 87 days. So um, October 9, 2019. So we've got a couple of months left, but it will be back this year, which I actually didn't think was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too shocked that it's going to be back this year. That's the... If there is a normal TV schedule, that's that's the one, you know, like uh, they end at the beginning of summer, film, start filming at some point in the summer and then uh, are back again in the fall. Um, and I know from Lily's Instagram that they are filming again. They've been, this is at least the first week where they're, they're back filming season four. Yes. And I, I saw that as well, um, that some of the guys were posting that they were, yeah, back filming etc etc but here's the cool thing or the interesting thing the first episode its name its title name is called in memoriam Hmm. and i wonder if they're sending off luke perry or i'm wondering if they're talking about like you know how it kind of ended on a cliffhanger and um, they were like, it gave the illusion that, you know, Jughead was dead, even though we know he's not, uh, just because he's not. And we say so. And if they kill him off, I'll be really pissed. <laughs> but 
I wonder, I wonder if that might be like a double thing where they say goodbye to Luke as well as, you know, bait us into thinking that Jughead is dead. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I'm curious. I'm excited. I'm excited that they've, they've got a release date and it's coming back. Yeah. Well, my first note is that I love the graveyard and the church that Betty is walking by when she's on the phone to the Black Hood. I don't know how much attention you pay to that, but aesthetically, it was just really cool. It was really uh, leering and creepy and, you know, foreboding. But it was this like bright, sunny day and Betty just happens to be walking past this place while she's talking to the Black Hood. I just thought that was a really cool juxtaposition. Yeah, that is that is a cool image. Did you notice that at all? I did not. Oh, there you go. I love when I notice something and you don't. It makes me feel like I'm really doing my work. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, the beginning of these episodes, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I really need to watch and, like, pay attention. <laughs> yeah, I mean um, – this has been a really, really long week for me as well, personally and professionally, because uh, I opened a show this week, plus was teaching summer camp, plus was doing my regular work uh, at Universal, and I'm completely wrecked. And when I came to sit down and watch this episode, I was like, I don't even remember what happened in the prior episode or what you and I talked about at all. Like, I feel like a month has gone by since we recorded last, which is not true. It's only been a week, but my brain was just, it took a minute to kick into gear. So I was surprised I even picked up anything initially when this episode first started. Yeah, man. It's an interesting rewatch. Um, it is. And it was, it's also interesting because when I first watched this episode, and I'm not sure if I've said this, on the podcast before, but when I first watched these episodes of season two, I loved them. I was totally on board, but for whatever reason, it's a little painful to watch now, but I think that's because we know so much and the characters have evolved so much since these first initial episodes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, what's your next note? My next note is, Parents and kids all in a room together? <laughs> I mean, that whole situation was just ridiculous, let's be honest. Um, I would, and I'm sure my parents, like if my parents were called by Alice Cooper and was like, hey, you need to come over and bring your daughter, we're going to hash this out. I don't think my parents would just sit there and let Alice talk to anybody in the room like she talked to these other parents and these kids. I mean, that is just Alice though, isn't it? <laughs> it is, but like she's so self-righteous. And like I think even Hiram is like, uh, oh, yeah, I'm sure there's a story behind your mugshot, Alice, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. it, she's so high and mighty, yet she comes from such a, a troubled background, you know? I mean, yeah, that's always the case with that kind of uh, behavior, though. It comes from a place of fear or knowledge, knowing what it's like, or 
mm. fear of like being like that again or having your kid be like that or, or whatever. So it tracks. <laughs> it's not great, but it tracks. Yeah, totally. I and- did notice in this scene, um, I definitely think that uh, Mark Consuelos knows about his storyline as Hiram being like the big baddie of this season and seasons to come. But especially knowing his connection with the drug use and the drug sale in, um, in Riverdale, because there was something he said, and I wish I'd written it down. Um, there was just something he, he said about the jingle jangle or, or whatever about the, um, what is the, the sugar man? I keep wanting to say sugar daddy. I keep saying, wanting to say candy man. (laughs) Very confusing. The sugar man where he just said it in such a way and there was just this particular inflection in Mark's voice where I was like, oh, he knows. He knows that it's him, you know? And, um, you know, in our last episode of Betty Squared, we were talking about, like, how much does each of the actors know about the storyline that's coming? Mm -hmm. And I think in this particular instance, he must have known something because you even look like, you know, once he puts his two cents in about, oh, you know, the sugar man or whatever and the drugs, Hiram and Hermione share this look like good, we've baited them. That idea is out there now. Yeah. So they must have known something was coming or been given some sort of information to, uh, you know, feed them that motivation in that scene. So, yeah, that was – I noticed that as well. And – I'm I'm still just so curious. I just want to like, I wish I had their phone numbers to just call them up and be like, hey, can you just tell me how much do you know about where your character's headed before you start filming for the season? I just want to know. I want to know if they know everything or I want to know if they know nothing or if they're on like a need to know basis. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I can't remember who I was talking to the other day and this is a little bit of a segue but I I think it kind of reinforces what I'm trying to say uh did you ever watch the OC yes oh yeah you betcha yeah I did too I fell off the wagon with it about like maybe halfway through I was like man I'm over it but apparently this friend of mine was telling me that Misha Misha Barton had no idea that her character was gonna die oh that's so sad I was under the impression that she had asked to leave the series so she could go off and pursue other projects, but allegedly she was never told and was just like, oh, I guess I'm done. Mm -hmm. I don't know about that. I find that pretty hard to believe because depending on like what her contract was like or whatever, I'm sure there's no, I'm, I'm sure there's legalities around doing something like that to somebody's character because that's obviously ending their job with that show yeah and when you say as well like when people say oh they didn't know that they were going to die the 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 amount of time between getting a script and like finding out that information and then filming can be much longer than I think people imagine It's not like she showed up to work that day and they were going to film her death scene. Like it would never get that far. Like there would be more time in it 
um, where people know, like if you look at the Game of Thrones folks, they, and thinking about how much farther in advance they actually understood that they, what was going to happen with their characters um, before they actually got around to filming those moments. Um, I think there's a lot more time than people expect. But yeah, with contracts and things like that, either her contract had to, and probably everybody's maybe was up at the end of that. I think that's the third season. Um, I was really into Thosi, by the way. Um, and then, and so she wasn't thinking much about it or, yeah, otherwise that's weird. I can't imagine you not knowing anything. Yeah, I don't know. Well, this this person that was telling me was pretty adamant that she never knew that she was being let go from um from the the show, but again, it's you know, coming back to Riverdale and the reason I was talking about it is you know, do these characters like does hell know that he's only got the rest of the season to go before he's going to be written off? And then yes, of course he cameos in season three but that's it he's done you know did he know that is that is that what he expected of his character was was he informed you know it's I'm just really curious and the more I think about it and the more I do this rewatch the more I want to know yeah I know it's definitely at the forefront of our minds especially I mean in my from for me, watching him act throughout the season, knowing what happens with him, it's, I, I, I just so don't think he knows at this point. And I'm curious to see if we are able to at all to see a change from when he does know. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Totally. It's just a curious thing. And it's a mystery we may never know the answer to. Yeah. Hmm. Well, my next note's kind of funny. Hmm. Uh, and I think it actually happened at the very beginning of the episode. But I have just written in big capital letters here, Sheriff Keller is daddy. <laughs> Which I, in my own personal life, never talk like that. And when I wrote it, I laughed my ass off because I was like, Jess, who are you? You don't talk like this. You sound like you're five years old. Well, maybe a little older, but... Yeah, he just is so damn hot and his voice and he the way he looks and it's just oh we just need more of him in season four he's just a beautiful specimen he is and that's funny it's uh, we don't have to go on on it but I I wrote yay FP so on a similar note of <laughs> Riverdale they're here strong today oh god and I love, um, I don't know when it is, I think it must be later in season two when, you know, um, Sheriff Keller and FP and Fred get together and I think Cheryl says, or, yeah, it was Cheryl that goes, oh, it's the hot dads of Riverdale or something. Was yes. it? It's Cheryl that says it, right? I think so. Because I was about to say, oh, oh no, Kevin. it's Kevin, but Kevin wouldn't know. say that about his dad. Like, that's weird. But it's so true. They really are. And I love the fact that, I mean, I, I don't know the background of the actor that plays Sheriff Keller, but I love that we've got these two teen heartthrobs in their older years who are still looking fine as ever. And it's just, it's just great. The three of them are just perfect. I love it. I know. I totally agree. I was going to say, I had forgotten 
about that conversation that Penelope has with the Lodges about, you know, Nick St. Clair attacking Cheryl. Mm -hmm. And I remembered as soon as I watched it, I was like, oh, God, I remember watching this, you know, back when it first aired and how much it just disgusted me. Yeah. And watching it this time, it was just so much worse because I – Penelope, uh, it's kind of like a variation of Alice. So with Alice, it's very clear they haven't kind of known what direction to take her. She's all over the place. One minute she's prim and proper. The next minute she's like, you know, busting out her serpent wear and yelling at everybody. And, you know, there's been a lot of variation to her. With Penelope, I feel like she goes back and forth in variations of trying to redeem herself so it's very clear she is not a good mother I don't know whether she loves Cheryl or not it it's this weird back and forth like one minute she's like talking down to her and even in this episode Cheryl's like I don't know why you don't love me you know I don't know why you don't ever want to support me um, and then she kind of does in a way, but then she flips back and she's awful again. And I, I feel like they don't know what they're doing with her. Yeah. I feel like if, because the thing is, it seems that the show needs villains and they don't really want to make the kids villains. They kind of tried. And then most of the time they get redemption pretty quickly for all of the kids like Chuck or even Cheryl or whatever. Right. So they don't really seem to want to get make the kids villains, so then they have to make the parents villains. But how do you make a parent a villain but also love their kid? They kind of done it with the lodges, but they're not as successful with the blossoms. And yeah, Penelope, I, she is like a week to week, what is she going to do? Which leads me to believe with her, like, her treatment of Cheryl that she's just kind of a sociopath. Like, she yeah. doesn't she doesn't have feelings. She's pretending if she ever does have feelings, and they're not real. And she doesn't feel anything for Cheryl because she doesn't feel anything. But are you sure? I mean, what else is the show giving me? Like, Cheryl made a good argument for her and really, like brought out those big anime tears to get her to, you know, burn the check or whatever. Um, and she went, okay, well, a, a mom in this situation wouldn't just sit here while a kid cries, but it, I mean, I don't know what the show wants me to think about her because especially at this point with what we've seen in season three, she's not a good person who cares about her kid, <laughs> like, or anyone. It seems like Clifford and Penelope both love Jason. You know, I don't know whether Cheryl was a mistake that they didn't intend on having a second baby or they were pointed that she was a girl and not a boy. I don't know what it is, but it seems like they, well, Penelope, obviously because Clifford's not around, is not interested in having Cheryl as a daughter, which I don't know. I'm not a mom. 
I don't know what that it's like to carry a baby, but there's got to be some kind of maternal instinct, even just a little bit, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I think so. But yeah, it, it's very apparent that that Penelope doesn't care about Cheryl in the way that she should be yeah. cared for, that Cheryl should be cared for. Exactly. Um, and Cheryl just takes it. You know, when her and Veronica were standing in Veronica's room listening to the lodges and Penelope talk, uh, you see that flip that Cheryl does and she's like, nope, it's okay, it's no problem, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. That broke my heart. I really was like, oh, no. I'm like, poor Cheryl, you know. She's so used to not getting the love and support that she needs from her mom that she's just willing to accept this. Yeah, she just takes it thinking that that's that's normal and that's what she deserves or or whatever. I know, and she so doesn't. No, she does not. My next note is, if my parents found out that I took drugs of any kind, I wouldn't live to tell that story. So, you know, in that little, in that room where Alice is like berating everybody and then she's always like, oh, my Betty was smart enough to leave the party before any of this happened. I was like, oh my God, Alice, cool it, cool it. Because Betty only left because of the instructions that the Black Hood gave her. But anyway. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, Reggie, and good on him, owns up to the fact that he was the one that brought the drugs to the party. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, the other kids admitting to the fact that they took it. Holy shit. Even if my parents had, like, duct taped me to a chair and were threatening to extract my teeth one by one, I would never, ever, ever admit that I took anything if I did. I'm being dramatic. I know. But these parents don't really seem to be surprised and they don't really seem to be disappointed. Yes, there's that few moments where, you know, um, Mayor McCoy is like, Josie, really? You put that poison in your body? And then she flips and she's like, well, this isn't, you know, this isn't my daughter's fault. This is the problem with the South Side. We're going to go do a raid. You know, she's not like reprimanding her daughter, who she's the one who is who she really is angry at. She's going for the bigger, badder thing in her mind to kind of cope with the fact that her daughter did this. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I also think part of it too is that she's in a room full of other adults. You don't really want to start, at least I wouldn't, start disciplining your kid in front of all these people. They'll judge you how you do it or if you. If you do it too much, you're not enough or whatever. And she's also there. So there's that other layer of like, well, it's like, this is an issue I need to deal with, but there's also, I'm the mayor, so I should act on this kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more on that. That's, that's definitely true. But I don't know. The parents just didn't seem surprised or like genuinely disappointed, which seemed like an odd thing to do I mean we've got to remember that these kids are what 15 16 so they're young you know they don't know better yeah I mean maybe that's why they let it go a little bit because it's like well teenagers you know <laughs> oh wow I, I wish know. I grew up in the 
Riverdale. Truly. I wish my parents were like, whatever, go do your thing. And I'd be like, I'd be the adult in the situation, you know? Yeah. I, I can definitely see that happening. I can only dream. <laughs> um, for my next note, <laughs> I wrote, I love the film trope and like aesthetic of people eating soft boiled eggs in the morning. So do you know what I'm talking what? about? No, I have no idea what you're watching. I mean, watching, talking about. So when um, Cheryl goes to uh, confront Penelope, she's eating breakfast and she's like tapping her spoon on a little egg in the little egg cozy holder thing. And that's just like, I've never seen anyone in my life do that. I've never seen anyone go like, yes, I'm going to eat a delicious soft boiled egg this morning um but tv and movies love to have people eat soft-boiled eggs because the aesthetic is just so nice and interesting um and it's not something you have to like actually take bites of so i think it's an easy thing to like fake eat because you don't really need to like you're not really eating soft-boiled eggs in the middle of a conversation because it's kind of like weird right it was just so funny i i there's something about that imagery that gets me I I totally get what you mean. I think I missed that part. I don't think I really acknowledged that she was eating an egg. But yeah, you're right. There is, I mean, let's be real. The rich do things differently anyway. So I would be willing to be like, yes, that's totally something that Penelope would do. But there is. You look at all different films and all different TV shows. There's always someone that's eating a soft-boiled egg. Yeah, if they're fancy and rich, they're eating a soft-boiled egg. And even if they're not, if they're in the 50s, they're eating a soft-boiled egg. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be so funny. I uh, I know now the next uh, the next movie or anything like that that I book, I, uh, I'm going to be very adamant about the fact that I must at some point be seen eating a soft-boiled egg. Yeah. Just for the principle of it. Yeah. Yeah. I am shooting a commercial next week. So maybe I should demand to have a soft-boiled egg in that. It's going to be a little bit of a weird thing because it's for a pain medication or like a pain cream. Um, but sure, I could be eating a soft-boiled egg whilst being in pain, right? Yeah, and then you you can't tap your spoon because your hand hurts. So you got to put the cream on it. Well, technically the cream is for knee pain. Well, But maybe I could be like tapping my egg and then I fall over because my knee hurts so bad, and then I fall into the egg. I mean, yeah, it's a I mean, choice. It depends on how, like, infomercial, like, as seen on TV, the product is. <laughs> it's, uh, well, it's not one of those as seen on TV things, but it's kind of like, you know, when the, you see those commercials and you are, and they're like, are you one of like one in five Americans that suffer from chronic knee pain? Well, now you don't have to. And I'm like one of the people that has the chronic knee pain. <laughs> Perfect. But the greatest thing was this company um, have actually sent me this this pain cream to try. And it's actually very good. So hmm. uh, I won't have to do a lot of acting. It'll be very genuine because they were actually looking for people with knee pain. And I don't even know if you know that about six years ago, I had a knee reconstruction. Did I ever tell you that? I feel like I did know something about that. Yeah, I was out on contract uh, working in Singapore and um, damaged my knee in one of the shows I was doing. 
and ended up having to have like a massive knee reconstruction. I was out and wheelchair bound for about three months. It was really extreme. And, you know, I'm fine and kicking these days, but occasionally I'll still get knee pain. And my agent sent me this brief and she's like, Hey, any chance you like suffer from knee pain? And I'm like, actually I do. Exactly. And so she had met with meet with the, um, the casting director and we chatted and they were like, okay, we want to book you for this project. And next thing I know in the post, some of this knee cream arrived. It was great. I was very excited. And yeah, I'm shooting the commercial this week, which will be fun. Nice. Yeah. But definitely I'll get on set and I will demand my egg be present. It's a choice. I don't know if it's the right choice, but it's a choice. Yeah, but it's an interesting one. <laughs> exactly. So if you're uh, watching the TV and you you see a woman eating an egg that's suffering from knee pain, that is yours truly. Yep, and it cannot possibly be anyone else. Definitely not. Copyright, by the way, if anybody's listening to this and they're like, oh my God, I'm going to do that, you can't. It's mine. Don't take it from me. Back off. <laughs> oh my god what is my life oh lord well it's funny that we are talking about knee pain because my next note ironically I would not be able to do if I had knee pain but I have always always in film or in life I will take either wanted to do a slow motion walk down a school hallway do you know what I'm talking about yeah yeah damn, they just look so cool. Even though they're doing a raid and they're technically the bad guys in this situation, I just wanted to do that slow motion walk with them down the hallway. I'm, I'm talking, of course, about uh, Mayor McCoy and Sheriff Keller when they raid Southside High and, you know, they, they go into slow motion. I'm just like, damn, that looks cool. Yeah, and that also didn't make much sense to me. Like, okay, doing a raid of the school okay, you can go through and check for drugs. Like, that was a thing that happened in my high school and, like, the dogs would smell all the lockers or whatever. But they're not allowed to check your personal, like, yourself. And then also, it doesn't make sense to me that Sweet Pea and, um, and Tony are arrested. Are we... So they had drugs on them? Yeah, I thought that was a little confusing. Yeah. I... They never really elaborated on that. No, they didn't. They were it, it, they just made it seem like they're arresting everyone in the school. And I'm like that why why? That solves nothing. That does nothing. Yeah, and also I'd love to know uh how um Jughead and Archie got out without being caught by the police because in all seriousness, if the police were doing a raid, they would have all exits covered. Yeah, and that they were the only ones thinking to run out or anything like that, and that no one was, like, going after them. You could see, it's not like you couldn't see that the cops were there. Right, exactly. Exactly. But I think the whole idea of that was it was meant to be a really extreme reaction that Mary McCoy was having because of Josie using the drugs yeah and it definitely was that that came across it was just so extreme that it's like that's not believable but it's Riverdale so yeah exactly exactly couldn't agree more but still 
my dream to do a slow motion walk down a school hallway will live on. <laughs> Fingers crossed for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> my next. Um, oh, yeah, go for it. I was just going to say my next note is the high pony is back. It is. It slowly seeped back in. Um, I mean, the first time we see Betty in this episode, she's got her hair out. Then she's kind of got a low pony. And then, you know, when she starts working with Jughead in the car, the high pony starts to sneak back in. Yeah, and it was back before that. Because I remember there being a cut and being like, oh, whoa, she has her high pony back. Um, it was when she has a conversation with Veronica at the, um, at Pops, and then after they decide to go, like, check out the, the Sugar Man or whatever, and to do a, some investigating, and, um, when Veronica's, like, counting down, she's like, he should be passing you in one, two, and, uh, when you see Betty, her hair's nice and high. Well, it's also, at that point, she has reconciled with Veronica as well so you know things are starting to come back together yes exactly exactly yeah really just interesting I I love how they do that I really do like I love that we know exactly what Betty's going through not only because Lily's a brilliant actor but also they show us in a very um in your face kind of way yeah, it's funny because since it's Lily, it's not necessary. Like, you, you, we know exactly what Betty's going through, regardless of how they dress her or what they do to her. They could literally leave her looking exactly the same, and it wouldn't matter. But um, it is an interesting little choice that they've made so specifically for her. Like, we've talked about this before, but um, and other characters will sometimes have things, attributes that change depending on their mood or whatever, but... This is a very specific one, and it's very specific to Betty. Very much. And they, you know, you sometimes see it with the other characters, like Veronica not wearing her pearls, but not nearly in this same capacity as as what we see with Betty. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Betty, um, Kevin made a reference this episode, and I didn't understand it, and I didn't have time to Google it, and to be completely honest, I was like, what do I Google to kind of work this out? Um, Betty approaches Veronica and Kevin, I think in the hall at school, and um, Kevin's like, not now, Benedict Betty? Um, Benedict Arnold. Can you... Okay, so that's who I thought, but I don't really know anything about Benedict Arnold, so I had... I still didn't understand the reference. Um, I mean, yeah, hold on. I don't really, I don't want to give like a, I don't want to be like, it was this and then be totally off. But I know it's just generally a term used for someone who is, uh, who is a traitor. Oh, That's is it. Benedict Arnold a traitor, is he? Um, okay, here. His name quickly became, he was a part of um, the American Revolutionary War. Um, okay. And he was really well trusted by George Washington. Uh, he, 
His name became synonymous for treason and betrayal because he led the British army in battle against the very men whom he had once commanded. Oh, okay. Well, see, there's me being an Australian coming into this and not being fully up with my Revolutionary War facts. (laughs) I mean, I'm American. American school system still needed to look it up. So no worries there. But at least you know you knew who Kevin was referencing, whereas I was like, Eggs Benedict? Like <laughs> Benedict gonna- Cumberbatch? <laughs> Is she gonna make breakfast? Like I was like I'm like, Heidi's gonna explain that. Because then what I was gonna do was I was gonna Google Benedict Benny and Betty and I was like, that's not gonna bring up anything because like, you know, I, I knew I needed more to the equation than yeah. just those two. But yeah, I did think Benedict Arnold, and then I was like, I know of him, but I don't really know who he is or what he did. So thank you. Thank you for my um, History Lesson 101. You're so welcome. I'm (laughs) here to help. (laughs) Did you notice another one of Riverdale's very clever, I'm going to try and say a brand name, but I'm going to change it slightly so we don't have to pay royalties? I think I did notice one, but I don't remember what it was now, and I didn't take note of it. So when Veronica goes to buy um, Jingle Jangle from one of the ghoulies. Oh, yes. And she, she walks up, and obviously she looks a million dollars, and he's like, sorry, we don't take American excess here. I was like, mm. everybody knows it's expressed, though, but y'all are trying to be clever. You know, they just want to get around saying actual brand names. Unless, you know, it's like a brand name they really want to sell. Right. Like, you know, remember in the first episode uh, ever of season one where, you know, we see CoverGirl quite a number of times. In the first season. Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah, it was in the first season. I just remember it sticking out really obviously in that very first episode. But it's clever and I'm constantly on the lookout for it because it just really entertains me. I love how they're, they, you know, change up the brand name just slightly so they can get away with it. I just, I really love it. It's become like a, a joke for me. Yeah. No, it is fun. It is a fun little Riverdale thing. Um, just a random note, but um, there's a part where, Pen- where Cheryl, it's before Cheryl's big anime tears um, and she kind of gets her mom on her side. But uh, when Cheryl walks in, Penelope is, like, moisturizing her burnt arm. And I was like, wow, the magic scar cream works wonders. Where does she get it? Right. I I thought that, too. And I was also like... Hold on one second, Jess. Sorry. I hate interrupting you. Hold on. Sorry, Jess. Um, my sister and mother are going out for breakfast, so the the dog is joining me for a bit. No problem. Give me two seconds. I'm just gonna. She's a little short wiener dog, so I gotta put her on the bed. Come here. Oh, you're like a little purse. Come on, let's chill. Okay. 
Sorry. Ready. You're fine, honey. Um, shit, what were you saying? You were, you had started talking about the scar cream. Right. Okay, I'll pick it up from there. So I thought that was kind of interesting as well, because yes, if the fire had just occurred, like, you know, a couple of weeks prior and she's healed, she could be moisturizing to add, you know, some moisture back into the skin. But at this late stage, you know, she got third degree burns. There's no coming back from that. And I'm pretty sure a moisturizer wouldn't really help. No, I think probably there is some sort of ointment or maybe something. There's always something you could try, but we also know that at the end of the day, like when they get past the whole burned down house storyline, Penelope doesn't have any lasting scars that I remember. And if she does, she just hides them with gloves or something. Yeah, she does definitely wear um, a glove on her hand um, in, you know, even in the current series that just finished. So, yeah, an interesting choice. Yeah, it was just so funny. It's like that magic scar cream. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit strange, but, I mean, we're just here to watch, really. Shouldn't judge, but there are some very interesting choices on this show. We've said it before, yeah, and in this episode um, in particular, but yeah, 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 a few little odd oddities in this one, but I guess it keeps the show unique. I've only got two notes left. Um, my last one's kind of interesting, and I'd love to discuss it more. But a quick little throwaway one that I wanted to mention is that I love the fact that Betty fixes Jughead's car. I can't remember if we've seen this before in season one, but it's such a nice little throwback to uh, the comics because Betty was never a girly girl. She was always a bit of a grease monkey. And, you know, the other girls were always, um, you know, giving her a hard time because she wouldn't wear makeup and she was always, you know, dressed like a bit like a tomboy. And they've obviously taken Betty in a different direction for the TV show. But I loved the fact that they just threw in this little tribute. Yeah, I love this. Yeah. There's not really, yeah, we haven't seen it before because I remember watching this for the first time and it was the first time we'd kind of seen this. And um, yeah, and I, I love her in her little overall. She looks so cute. But I do feel like the show doesn't give us context for why Betty knows these things. Like it's not really mentioned. It, it's not mentioned in this episode. If it is ever in the future that she like worked on cars with her dad or like anything like that. And they haven't shown us those things either. So it's like, where does this really come from? Just kind of the comics. And it's kind of very obviously an homage. Um, but it is nice to see. And she looks very cute in the little overalls. She does. And then even when they're doing the car race as well, um, you know, she's got the little uh, scarf in her hair and stuff. And she's looking very retro. And I, I just, yeah, I really like it. Yeah, I agree. Oh, goodness. Well, I don't know if you've got any other notes. Like I said, I've only got the one note left. My last kind of notes are all on the same note like they're they're different notes but they all are kind of connected so okay 
you can go for it if you like. Sure. My kind of just like, my last, last note is just, what is the point? Because by this episode, Veronica doesn't care about any blood being on her dad's hand from Nick at the beginning. She was like, my dad will kill him if she know if he knows that he tried to assault me. So I don't, and I don't want that for my dad. Da, 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 da. And she's very adamant against that. And by the end, she's like, good. I'm glad he crashed in his car. Like, yeah, it's a little bit of a flip, isn't it? And there's, that's not the only one. Everyone also very quickly forgives Betty, which I like. I don't want Betty to be sad and I, and they should forgive her easily, but it is, especially what she's just on the couch with Jughead at the end. I'm more to believe they must have had like some long conversation about it, but we didn't get to see it and we don't get to see any of their kind of like how they're making up. They've just made up and Veronica does the same thing, which like I said, I like, but it's still weird. Also, there's no repercussions to Betty for making up with her friends. Like the Black Hood just wanted them to not be friends for an episode and a half. Yeah. For no reason at all with no consequences. It just doesn't really track and I don't know if I caught that when I first watched it because three episodes three weeks apart at minimum at at like least there could have been more in between because of different airing dates or whatever but um right three episodes can feel like a long time but when you watch it all succinctly like this it's like oh well you know yeah totally it it's strange there's no repercussions but you know, I mean, we still keep watching. <laughs> no, I know. It's just, I, I can't not point it out. It just is very, there's a lot of flip-flop in this episode from everyone's perspectives. And it's just, I don't know. It's a little messy, but somehow they get away with it. Yeah. It's very messy. It's very messy. Yeah. What about you? What's your last note? Well, my last note is actually on, um, and I think we said it last week as well, is on the ringtone that Betty has given to the Black Hood. You know, it's that lollipop song. But in this episode, and my my note changed throughout the episode because initially um, I think it's when Betty is reconciling with Veronica, her phone rings and Veronica's like, oh, my God, is that the Black Hood? And she picks it up and she's like, no, it's not. And she answers it. And, oh, and she's like, no, it's Cheryl. But her ringtone is just the standard ring, 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 ring. Then later on, her phone rings again and it's that same ring, ring tone, but it's the black hood. So I'm a little confused as to why it went from that lollipop song back to a standard ring, ring. Like, would it not been more creepy to keep the black hood at or the no caller id phone number programmed as that lollipop song and everybody else's as the ring ring do you get what i mean yeah no i totally get what you mean and once you mentioned it i was like oh yeah i didn't hear that ringtone at all this episode i didn't realize it until you until you said it because i just wasn't thinking about it but um yeah no i agree that would have i think that would have worked more and and of course Veronica doesn't know that that's the ringtone that's been playing for the Black Hood so she wouldn't know if like 
depending on ringtones, who it would have been um, from that earlier scene. But it is it is a really weird inconsistency or just I don't I don't really understand where that comes from. No, me either. And like I said, when her phone rings at Pops when she's with Veronica and it's Cheryl and it being that ring ring, initially I wrote down, oh, so she does have a specific ringtone for when the Black Hood calls. So that's that's good. Then she knows when he's calling and, you know, can prepare herself. But then later when that same ring ring goes off and it's him, I'm like, wait, I thought we had the lollipop lollipop. It's just, it's just strange. It was a strange divergence, I guess. Um, And I guess we're just, I mean, most people, I, I guess, wouldn't have even picked that up. But because we had talked about it last episode about is this a specific ringtone for the Black Hood, I was surprised to not see it again. So I guess we're just meant to assume that, uh, I don't know, maybe Betty was traumatized by hearing that song every time the Black Hood called that she changed her ringtone. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the most likely of answers. Yeah, I just thought it was very unusual. But again, that's that was something I I had to comment on just because we had brought it up last week how, you know, specific that ringtone was. This episode was the episode of flip-flopping, so. It really was. And, I mean, let's take a look and see what Betty would do this episode. But, again, if she's flip-flopping back and forth, that's okay because she's our girl. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think Betty does. Betty, Betty is consistent through this episode. She is, you know, she's trying to outsmart the Black Hood. Um and is no if anything she's progressing forward cuz she no longer wants to be under his thumb she's breaking out yeah breaking free as they say in high school musical exactly oh god i loved those movies so much when they came out i'm such a nerd <laughs> oh goodness i even had it on sing sing song sing star that game you play on playstation when sure. we could sing with the microphone yeah, I was obsessed. It was it was my jam. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I know. I'm sorry. I just I got to stop oversharing on this podcast. People are going to think I'm a real weirdo if they don't already. <laughs> I, as uh, as one of my cousins said to me once, I am an enigma. You really just can't work me out. <laughs> Very true. All right, everyone. Well, on that note, we will catch you next week for another episode of Betty Squared. Bye. Bye.